Hello, everybody. It's been a while, but the Hockey News Podcast Zoom edition is back. And oh my God, oh my God, we are going to talk about hockey games being played with humans and on real ice in a hub city. And I'm, I can't believe it. Are you guys excited about this? What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon about it. I think it's going to be great if they can do it. I, I'm still not 100% convinced that they're going to be able to pull this off. Um, I'm not sure that we're not one, you know, COVID outbreak away from this whole thing being shut down. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to be an optimist about this and, uh, and, and hope that they're listening to the right people and doing the right things. And, uh, let's play some hockey. Oh, they're going to do it. To paraphrase a great philosopher, I rink, therefore I am. They've got the hotel set up. They've got all the, the buzz. They're, they're going to do it. They're just going to get in that bubble and whatever happens, happens. But I, what really entices me is that with the games being staggered throughout the day and having the two hub cities, this is going to be like March Madness for like the whole – it's going to be like the first round of March Madness for like a month and a half. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. Exactly. That's when people originally complain about the format. I'm like, this, this could be nothing like this ever again. Like, let's just, just embrace the chaos, man. Yeah. Just, just yeah. roll with it. Constant hockey. Exactly. And I, I've said to people, you know, just friends or family, whenever they ask about it, I say, I'm, I, I don't know if they should do it, but I'm <laughs> but they, they will. will do it. Yes. And, and to the credit of the NHL, I think they've been a lot more cautious than, say, <clears throat> baseball uh, with the setting up of the hub cities. And of course, baseball, it's different. The, the nature of the sport, it's harder to have hub cities. They play so many more games. But because of the hub setup, they're taking a fair amount of precautions. Uh, and even though there is the hospital outbreak in Edmonton it's not too close to where the, the actual hub's going to be and that's a transition to where we're going to start so we're doing some qualifying round play-in series predictions we're starting with the western hub which is unofficially Edmonton once the CBA is ratified maybe by the time you're listening to this it will be uh the hub city will probably be announced so we'll just consider it Edmonton and speaking of Edmonton that's where we're going to start the five seed Edmonton Oilers faces the lucky to be there Chicago Blackhawks who I think had the 23rd best points percentage in the NHL. So we're going to go category by category. We are going to start with offense. So Kenny, uh, tell me what you think about each team's offense and who you think has an edge. Well, I, I don't think there's any question that Edmonton has a huge edge in offense. Um, you know, I mean, they were, I think, I think they, they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They have the best power play since January 1st. I, I'm not sure that I think they may have been the highest scoring team in the NHL. Um, you know, just obviously the top end talent. Um, it's, 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 it's light years ahead of, out of, ahead of Chicago. You know, Chicago does have some decent offensive talent. Like, I mean, Patrick Kane is still Patrick Kane and he has proven this year that he's been, uh, if one of the best, I think, offensive players in the NHL, um, given, you know, sort of what he has around him. Uh, you know, Dominic Kubalik has been, you know, done more with less than anybody. I think he has 30 goals and he's getting less than 15 minutes of ice time a game. Um, you know, so, so there is something there. I mean, they, they do have some decent offense, but I think this is a huge, um, you know, a huge edge to Edmonton in terms of game breakers, top level offense, elite offensive talent. I mean, you know, the Edmonton Oilers have two of the best offensive players in the world on their team. Um, so I don't see this as being very close in this category for sure. Okay. And, and Ryan, are you in the same boat there? Yeah. And I mean, granted Edmonton's offense overall was actually only marginally, marginally better than Chicago's. Uh, but you know, McDavid was hurt for a bit. Um, for me, it comes down to that power play. Edmonton had the best power play in the league, clicking at nearly 30%. And when you look at how they've, sort of chopped up their offense where you have the Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto line, all of a sudden, then you have to deal with Dreisaitl on one line, Connor McDavid on the other. I think that's going to be a big matchup problem because even when you have one of the best two-way players of his generation in Jonathan Taves, he can only be on the ice for so long. And I think those matchup problems are, are going to hurt Chicago where, you know, as you said, Matt, they're, kind of happy to be there and they've got some young guys who will be getting some good experience, but um, I, I think it's going to be a little too overwhelming. I think you're right. And, and the thing about the, the power play is I couldn't believe this. I was looking up some numbers this morning. Oilers power play 
Best power play since the 78-79 New York Islanders. 41 years, 29.5%. Uh, I think that's going to be the deciding factor in the series. Uh, and, Ryan, you touched on Kyle Yamamoto. I think he completely changed the complexion of the Oilers lineup. Great chemistry with Dreisaitl, almost a point of game for Yamamoto. And now, if Dave Tippett wants to, he has the ability to move Nuge and Hopkins back to the first line. So you can have two duos, right? A McDavid, Nuge line, and a Dreisaitl, Yamamoto line. And I think the Oilers, they've been looking for for a couple of years to have that multifaceted top six where you can't stop one line, and they have it now. Uh, the Blackhawks, interesting. Kubalik, what a story. Uh, only eight rookies, I think, in the last decade have scored 30 goals. He's one of them. Led the NHL in goals per 60 at 5-on-5. Five five. But really high shooting percentage, so it's possible there's going to be a regression for him coming. It could start in these playoffs. Uh, and I think it hurts right now. It's Alex Dabrinkit, I think. He had a really down year. So maybe the layoff does him some good. But if it doesn't, then I just don't think the Blackhawks have as many weapons as the Oilers do. So I think it's a pretty distinct edge for Edmonton there. Uh, moving over to defense. Oh my goodness. The Chicago Blackhawks were the worst defensive team in the NHL. They allow the most shots per game, 35.1. They allow the most scoring chances, the most high danger chances. They don't really have a number one defenseman anymore in Duncan Keith. Uh, looking over at the Oilers, I, I don't think the Oilers are spectacular on defense, but I think they have decent depth. I think Ethan Bear emerging as a good rookie this year has really added to that decor. You, have a, you don't necessarily have a dynamic true number one, but in guys like Clefbaum, Darnold Nurse, Adam Larson, you have capable, you know, middle pair caliber minutes eaters. Uh, and the Oilers have the second best penalty kill in the NHL. So really great special teams with the Oilers. I give the edge on defense to Edmonton as well. Kenny, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I don't think either of these teams is, is going to be, you know, is going to be confused with a, a really good defensive team. Um, neither of them is, you know, that's not, the, that's not the forte of either of these teams, you know, but at least, you know, Edmonton's, you know, Edmonton's not great defensively. Chicago's uh, abysmal defensively, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, I, I just, I don't like the, I don't like the, the combination of Edmonton's firepower and Chicago's propensity for giving up big time offensive scoring chances. Um, I think that's, that's really going to hurt them, you know, and, and I think as you said too, Matt, I mean, you know, there, there's not on paper, there's not a ton separating the, them defensively, but if you look at the individual defense cores, you know, you've got Clefbaum, Nurse and, and Bear who, who was playing some absolutely lights out hockey when, um, you know, when, when the pause came and then you look at the Chicago side, you know, I know, I know Brent Seabrook skating again. I, I'm not sure that that's much of a, an addition at this point in his career. Um, you know, you've got Connor Murphy, you've got Oli Mata, you've got like, it just looks like even, you know, even on paper, it looks even, but then you look at the personnel and it's, and I don't think it is. And again, as you said, Matt, they, they have the second best penalty. Edmonton has a second best penalty killing in the league. I'm not sure that that that's a, a huge game changer. I mean, you know, San Jose, was the best penalty killing team in the NHL this year. So, um, you know, I, I mean, you've got to have more than that, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to give the edge to Edmonton as well. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Ryan? I would give a slight edge to Edmonton in terms of goals against per game. Uh, these teams are very similar. Uh, there was a lot separating them there. And I, I mean, even when it came to the penalty kill, you know, Chicago, um, 82.1%, uh, which is not as good as Edmonton, but it wasn't too far off either. And, you know, granted, the advantage that the Oilers have is that they have Dave Tippett as their coach, you know, great defensive coach, and, you know, they might not have a, a ton of dynamic guys on the back end, but they have guys that know their role. And, you know, that's basically get the puck up to McDavid and Dreisaitl, let's get out of our end, and, you know, let's be safe and structured there. So I, I think that really helps where, you know, you don't need these guys to do too much. They just have to be as fundamental as they can be. And I, I wouldn't discount Duncan Keith altogether just based on how much experience he has. And, you know, I think the big X factor in these entire playoffs is going to be how the layoff impacted different players. You know, what does it mean for a young guy who has tons of energy? What does it mean for a veteran who all of a sudden got to 
rest and relax at a time in the season where they usually don't. So they go into the playoffs fresh. I think that's going to be very intriguing. And a guy like Duncan Keith uh, might be a huge beneficiary because of where he is in his career and, and what he's been able to do in the past. So I'll, I'll still give the edge to the Oilers, but I don't think it's as distinct uh, as one might think. Okay, fair. Uh, moving on to goaltending, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, when we did our our voting, uh, we don't vote on the Vezina, that's the GMs that we do vote on the All-Star team. So that's our way of kind of giving our Vezina votes. And one of my votes, not my first place vote, but one of them went to Corey Crawford. Uh, if you look at the workload he faced, you could make a case that it was the hardest workload in the NHL because Chicago was so bad defensively. And Crawford's numbers were really good. I actually think this was one of the best seasons of Corey Crawford's career. Now he's rested coming off the layoff, like you were suggesting, Ryan, for the veterans. Uh, whereas the Oilers, I don't know what to expect. Who do they go with? Do you have Mike Smith, who was terrible this season? Sorry, Mike Smith, but he was. Uh, if you look at goal saved above average for 60 minutes – among goalies with uh, 500 or more minutes, five on five. Mike Smith, 60th out of 66. So right near the bottom of the league in quality. Whereas Mikko Koskinen was near the top, or at least the top third. He was above average. At the same time, Mike Smith, he single-handedly won Calgary a game last year in the playoffs. And he ranks, I think he might be number one or close to number one all time in career playoff save percentage. That is skewed a bit by the one great run he had in 2012. But the point being, he has been historically very good in the playoffs. His coach during that 2012 run with Arizona was Dave Tippett. So we know that Tippett trusts Mike Smith. I think it's a mistake, personally, if you go with Mike Smith. He's 38 years old. Uh, I think Koskinen is a better option. But overall, I think that uncertainty gives the edge to Chicago. Ryan, do you agree? I'm going to go ahead and disagree on that. Uh, on, the, on the assumption that they go with Koskinen because – uh, you know, goal saves above average, uh, Koskin 9.25. He is a two-time Gagarin Cup champion in the KHL, 2015 and 2017. Now, granted, not the same tournament, but at least we know he can go on a long playoff run and win when it counts. So I think he'll have at least internally his own confidence that he can do it. Um, as good as Crawford has been, I always worry that at any point he could get hurt again. And I know that's not scientific, but it's been such a slog for him the past couple of years in terms of injuries that I worry um, I, I, he doesn't have Robin Lehner back there anymore. You know, Chicago dealt him to Vegas at the deadline, assuming the season was done. So if anything happens to Crawford, you're looking at Malcolm Subban coming in net most likely. And I, I agree, you know, it, it's a tough decision for Edmonton which way they're going to go. But at least, you know, if Tippett decides to go with Mike Smith and it doesn't work in game one, then you go to Koskinen and maybe you catch lightning in a bottle there. If, if Smith does go on, the, on a run, then you're, you're good to go. Fair. It's funny that the backup option for Chicago being Subban, it's, it just highlights how unprecedented this tournament is because you have a lot of teams that sold off their best assets, not expecting to be in it, and here they are. Uh, where do you land on the goaltending, Kenny? I think, I think it's actually kind of a wash. <laughs> Um, goaltending, I don't think it's going to be a, a deciding factor either way. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, Corey Crawford has as good as he's been this year, Matt. I think the difference here is that Edmonton's goaltending, whoever they go with, and, and I agree that it should be Koskinen, in this series, it's just going to have to be good. It, does, it doesn't – it's not going to have to be great. Whereas Corey Crawford, in order for the Chicago Blackhawks to even have – to have any hope of winning this series – he's going to have to be great and he's probably going to have to be great for five straight games. Um, and, and I'm not sure that that's possible at this stage of his career. Um, but it, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's probably a wash, uh, probably not a factor that's, that's, that's going to dictate this series unless of course, like I said, Corey Crawford goes on some kind of crazy run and, and, you know, and, and just plays the hockey of his life for a week and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's funny when we move to intangibles personally uh, in the West hub, I, I think this is the series that has the biggest intangible factor because what we know about Chicago, the one major edge they have over Edmonton is experience. They have all the Stanley cup rings. The Oilers, I think are much more likely to get the yips, feel some pressure uh, as the heavy favorite playing, I guess, you know, they're playing in their home rink. They're not in front of their home fans, but there's a slight home factor. 
Um, so I think that's, if you're looking for some mental edge, you have to give that to Chicago. Uh, what do you guys see in terms of intangibles? Kenny, we'll start with you. Well, I, I, I mean, Chicago, I, the, the intangibles obvious. I mean, there's nothing that this, that the core members of this group haven't seen in a playoff. They've, they've come from behind. They've been ahead. They've, they've been in tight games. They've been in long series. You know, they've won the Stanley cup in overtime. They've, you know, I mean, they've done everything. So that's the intangible they have. Um, but I mean, the, the, the past is the past for a reason, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I mean, it's not even an intangible on Edmonton's side. I mean, Edmonton, it's a tangible, they're just, they're just a better team, <laughs> mm -hmm. a lot better. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, they've got that going for them, eh? And, uh, and, and so, you know, and I think too, I think home ice advantage is going to be a bigger deal than I think people are sort of sloughing it off to be, you know, I mean, they are in their own building, they're in their own dressing room, they're in their own surroundings. I know that they're going to be, you know, sequestered in a bubble in a hotel, but they're still going to be able to turn on the TV and, and see, you know, sort of the buzz around town that's being created uh, by all of this. So I, I think home ice advantage is, is going to make a difference. Um, it's funny because for the longest time, like the Oilers weren't very good at home <laughs> in front of that home crowd. So maybe they'll be better in front of nobody in their home. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do think that the, the intangibles on the, on the, on the Chicago side outweigh that, huge enormous experience intangible on Chicago's side mm -hmm. what about you Ryan see any intangibles unless you want to answer that I don't know who's getting a phone call but you can get no, that okay I'm good <laughs> yeah okay well, um, well Ken screens the call Ryan what do you got for intangibles yeah no I agree with you know the, the experience on the Chicago side but um I, I'll give Chicago a, a slight edge on intangibles but I keep I, I have this like image in my head you guys seen the great escape where every time Steve McQueen gets captured, he just bounces the ball off the wall in solitary the whole time. I keep picturing Connor McDavid, like in his condo or house in Edmonton the past three months, just shooting pucks constantly, just waiting for the game to come back. And, uh, and, and that's my intangible for Edmonton is just how ready Connor McDavid is going to be for this series. I think he's going to be, just an absolute beast because he recognizes that this is an amazing opportunity for him and his team to go deep uh, in the playoffs for the first time in his NHL career. And things are just set up very nicely. So I, I think the fire of Connor McDavid is, is an intangible to, to keep in mind. A great point. And the thing is, as we learned as the season progressed with McDavid being the Masterton nominee for Edmonton, he wasn't necessarily playing on a perfectly healed knee. It's debatable. He did wait as long as he could. But what he went through rehab-wise, it's possible we're going to get a better McDavid now that he's had even more time to get stronger. A scary thought. So let's get to our series picks. Kenny, give me your pick to win the series and games. You know, I, I really wanted – to, this to be close I, I really did like I like I was kind of going into this thinking well is this the one I'm going to pick for for my upset and then you look at it and you go come on <laughs> get serious um I, I I want this to be a close series I, I want Chicago to have some fight in them I want that intangible quality to come out and for them these guys to have one last run but I don't I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I think, I think Chicago is going to get overwhelmed here. Um, I, I mean, three or four games at the most, in my opinion. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to say Edmonton in four with Chicago winning the first game mm -hmm. where everybody's sort of figuring out what's going on. And then Edmonton's like, okay, no, we got this. And they, they swat them in the next three. Okay, I actually think it's going to be close. I have Oilers in five. I think goaltending is going to be a factor. I think Patrick Kane relishes this kind of underdog role, and he's so clutch. And I think even for guys like Duncan Keith, it's a chance for one last ride in a tournament where they're rested, short tournament. I think Chicago puts a legit scare in Edmonton, but the Oilers do eventually prevail. So Oilers in five. Uh, we'll move on now to the Predators versus the Coyotes. Nashville, the sixth seed. Arizona, the 11th seed. So we're going to start with, with offense. And offense is pretty meh, I think, for both of these teams. They're both middle of the pack. Nashville a little bit better. Neither team had a forward in the top 50 scorers in the NHL. Uh, and on paper, Arizona was supposed to be massively improved offensively, offensively this year, but Phil Kessel 
major disappointment. Uh, Taylor Hall was good, not great after coming over in the trade. Uh, but to me, it's kind of maybe a slight edge to Nashville, especially when you factor in, you know, if you consider Roman Yossi a forward, just roving the ice, uh, I would give it slightly to Nashville, but I don't think it's a, it's a distinct edge. Uh, Kenny, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think both of these teams, like these teams both remind me of, of just somebody who's, who's trying to get it right all the time and just is never able to, you know, I mean, how long has Nashville been trying to get better offensively, including this year when they picked up Matthew Shane, you know, they were supposed to be better offensively, you know, I mean, and, and Arizona, I mean, they were supposed to be much better offensively. The, the two K's in, 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 in Arizona, uh, Phil Kessel and Clayton Keller have been enormous disappointments um, offensively and probably <laughs> at both ends of the ice for, for Arizona. Um, you know, this to me, this series is, if there's one that I'm going to have to make time to, to tune out and go do other things, it's going to be this one. This is not going to be must watch hockey, yeah. at least from my perspective at all. Even when I looked um, at it on the screen, I was like, like in terms of which series to talk about next, I was like, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, this, you know, meh is a, is a great word to describe it. It's, it's a real meh series. And mostly because, you know, both of these t- teams have a lot of trouble generating offense, like a lot of trouble. And, you know, I mean, you, you do give Nashville the slight edge because from the back end, they're a little better offensively, obviously. Well, probably a lot better offensively. Um, but, uh, yeah, not just not just not excited about this matchup at all. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Nashville and Arizona. Uh, what about you, you Ryan? Are you in the same boat? Yeah, I called offense a tie on this one. Um, you know, Nashville slightly better in terms of goals per game, but Arizona slightly better on the power play. And I do think that, you know, the two best forwards in the series are, are Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall in terms of potential to, to really be game breakers and obviously both play for Arizona. Um, you know, Nashville does have 10 players who scored at least 10 goals this year. Um, and, and that's something, you know, you're scoring by committee and granted some of those guys are defensemen. Uh, Roman Yossi, the only guy on the team close to being a point per game player. And that's why, you know, I, I think he'll probably win the Norris or at least should win the Norris this season. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, this is going to be, I think, more of a, a grinding series. For sure. Uh, and speaking of grinding, let's talk about defense. The weird grinding. thing, yeah. <laughs> the Predators, you know, we still perceive them as this lockdown group because they had that great defense for so many years. Obviously, P.K. Subban's gone from the group now. But uh, if you look at the possession numbers after John Hines took over as coach, they were actually one of the worst teams in the league in terms of allowing attempts on their own net, which is strange to me based on the perception. At the same time, in these playoffs, it's going to be different, short series. The Preds are going to be able to lean on the top four a lot more. Ryan Ellis, who was fantastic this season, Romeosi, and Tiz Ekholm, and Dante Fabro. So you can phase out Nashville. You know, at Nashville, the depth gets a little murky after that, but you can really lean on those guys to play. As we've, as we've seen year after year in the playoffs, the Predators' top four plays like 50 out of 60 minutes a game, give or take, maybe even more. So I do think that's a slight edge uh, for Nashville, at least on the blue line. If you look at the forward group, especially when it comes to the penalty kill, the, the Coyotes were pretty solid. Brad Richardson was one of the best penalty killers in the league. So I think that's a legitimate factor too. I think it's close to even, maybe a hair of an edge to Nashville, but I don't have a strong feeling either way. What about you, Ryan? Well, I actually like Arizona. I mean, they were one of the top defensive teams in the NHL this season. Uh, Only Boston and Dallas surrendered fewer goals per game than the Coyotes. And I I think they might be a little underrated in in that respect. And uh, granted, Nashville has the weapons on defense. And as you mentioned, you know, guys like Yossi and Ellis obviously can do so many things out there. But I think, uh, you know, with Arizona's structure and the buy-in that they get under Coach Rick Hockett, um, you know, you, you kind of underestimate them at your own peril. And in terms of the, the penalty kill, um, I, I think, you know, this is a, a big one. You know, Nashville had one of the worst penalty kills in the NHL. Only Detroit and Buffalo uh, were worse shorthanded than the Predators, whereas Arizona, 82.7%, 
very respectable. Um, so I'm going to give the, uh, the edge to Arizona on this one. Plus, you know, a healthy Oliver Ekman Larson back there. Very true. Kenny, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with Ryan on this. I think, I, I don't think it's, I think it's pretty close, but I'm going to give Arizona the edge because I mean, whatever success question mark, the Arizona coyotes had this year was based on, on defensive playing goaltending. Um, so I think it's a bigger part of their, their foundation, you know, the, their, their ability to, you know, to play defense, to kill penalties, to actually create offense on the penalty kill a lot of times for this team. Um, you, you know, and, and so I, I, I do think the edge goes to, uh, I think the edge goes to Arizona on this one slightly. And I, I you know, I mean, I agree with you, Ryan, or, um, Matt, that, that there's just, I mean, the perception and the reality are far different with this, uh, with this Nashville team. They're not the defensive juggernaut they, they once were. And, and I mean, we're going to get the goaltending and they're certainly not the, the, the goaltending team they once were. Right. And, and speaking of goaltending, I, I actually think it props up Arizona's reputation as well. Uh, I don't think Arizona's as good defensively as they seem because they're ranking near the top in terms of goals allowed, but it's really because of Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta. They're still allowing a decent number of chances, but the goaltending is what's keeping the puck out of the net. Kind of reminds me of the Islanders last year. Uh, and of course, Kemper in particular has been one of the best goalies in the world for the past two years now. So that's a big edge, and especially because Ranta's been almost as good. It doesn't matter who you go to in that net. It'll probably be Kemper, but if, if he falls or gets hurt, you have a great backup in Ranta. Where it gets really interesting is the Predators' net – we saw UC Saros finally take over the crease after the All-Star break at 11-4, and 936 8%. He was the reason Nashville got back into the playoff picture. Uh, but with that layoff now, you see the quotes and the chatter around the team, and it's all of a sudden, well, you know, it's almost like it, it's, it's, this happened to many teams. I did a story. I counted 11 teams that had potential goaltending controversies. And it's like with all this time to think, you have coaches kind of outsmarting themselves creating goal controversies, even though Saros was phenomenal for Nashville. But, oh, Rennie's the guy. He's been there for a long time. Do you give him one more chance? He's got one more year left on his deal. And the way the Preds are talking, we don't know that Saros is 100% getting the job, which to me is crazy. I think, all due respect to Pekka Rennie, a great career. He's not been very good in the playoffs most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the great run for most of 2017, but he imploded in the final. He imploded the year after that. He's not overall been a great playoff goalie. So, to me... I'm giving the edge to the Coyotes. Just even the threat of Pecorine taking the job makes things complicated. I, I like what Arizona has in net better. Kenny, what do you think? Uh, much better, much better. I like what Arizona has in net, in net much better. Um, you know, I, I think the Pecorine experiment, if they go ahead and go with it, um, I don't think it'll last long. That I don't think they'll give him much of a leash unless, you know, unless he takes the ball and runs with it. Um, so so I, I think I think that – you know, given his, his history, I think that will be a very short experiment if it doesn't work out. Um, so I think Saros will take the net. But, I mean, the depth of goaltending for Arizona is probably as good as any team in the league. Or, you know, I mean, there's, there's a couple of teams that are right there. But, um, you know, Darcy Kemper, had he not gotten hurt uh, and had he played the way he was playing, uh, you know, he, he would be a Vezina finalist this year. No question. Um, anti Ranta, there's always been that, you know, he gets on a good run and then he gets hurt. Um, but, uh, but he does get on good runs. So yeah, I, I, th- I think, I think it's, a, I think this is a very decided edge for, for Arizona. It's, 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 it's not close in my opinion. And especially considering even Arizona's number three option, Aiden Hill, he was really good when he came in for a little bit. Uh, Ryan, where do you land on the goalie debate? I agree. I think Arizona has the the big edge here. You know, if you go on goal saved above average, uh, whichever goalie Arizona plays is better than whichever goalie Nashville plays. You know, Pekka Rene was actually um, minus 14.2 uh, in terms of goal saved above average, which uh, puts him right at the bottom of the league. Whereas, you know, Darcy Kemper, as we've talked about, amazing season. Uh, he's been one of the, the best in the league uh, at 16.6. And Auntie Ranta, uh, not far behind, 11.7. UC Saros, 5.26. So, you know, pretty decent if you're Saros. And, you know, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, you know, he was great after the All-Star break. But I, I just feel like it, it's such an advantage 
you know, whether it's the one guy or it's the depth, Arizona has it both and they, they play well in front of them as well. Um, so I think that uh, you got to go with the Coyotes. Okay. Uh, moving on to intangibles. Feel free to boo if you think I'm reaching here, but just hear me out, okay? So first round pick that goes to the Devils from the Taylor Hall trade. It's lottery protected. So say you're the Arizona Coyotes, you fall behind 2 nothing to the Predators, and you have a 12.5% chance of winning that lottery and getting out Lexi Lafreniere. And you're, again, you're down 0-2. You have to win five rounds. You don't have a 12.5% chance of winning the Stanley Cup. So do you kind of just, not even consciously, start to take your foot off the gas? And this is a, I would apply this to Chicago. I would apply this to Montreal. Those teams that really, you know, were the really lucky teams to get into this tournament. If you start to get down to series, is there going to be a subconscious, eh, we're better off? taking our chances with the lottery factor that could influence teams play. So that's my, that's my intangible for this series is I don't want to say tank. I don't want to say throw the fight, but a subconscious just kind of easing up. If you know you're in trouble in the series, what do you guys have for intangibles? Uh, Ryan, we'll start with you on this one. Well, I'm going to go with Nashville's experience versus Arizona's top gun. Uh, Phil Kessel and and yeah Phil Kessel has not had a great season but we've seen him put up some monster playoff performances in the past he's got cup rings from his times in Pittsburgh and he actually beat this Nashville team not too long ago and you know the Predators still have uh, quite a few guys that that played on that final team um, against the Penguins so for me intangibles is kind of a saw off uh, I, I don't think anybody has an advantage in this particular case because you have a guy that could break out in Kessel but then you have sort of the collective in Nashville that says we've gone deep before uh, we've gotten close to the cup and now we want to actually drink from it and whether or not this is their year obviously remains to be seen but I, I think at least they have the, the confidence and the drive um, to, to make this a, a pretty even. Okay. Kenny, tangibles. You know I love you, Matt, eh? You know I love you, eh, buddy? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You know I love you, pal. Uh-huh. Like, come on. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously? If Arizona's down 2 nothing to Nashville, who cares? They're not going to come back anyways. <laughs> even if they – play their asses off they're not going to come back so uh i'm not i'm not big on that on that tanking situation um but i but what i do think is that uh it just seems to me that that arizona is playing with house money more than almost any other team in this tournament um you know and and they're you know they have i watched them play for a month when i was down there in 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 February and they have the, they have the capacity to turn it on. You know, when everyone is pulling at the same end of the rope in Arizona, uh, they can be a decent team. They can be a, a decent to, to good team. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really down on Nashville for some reason. I, I just, I don't, they don't inspire any confidence in me whatsoever anymore. Um, I, I do think that whoever wins a series is going to get killed in the next series. So it really doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on Kessel in terms of his experience and when he's, you know, and, and I think he's, I think Phil Kessel is the, is the, is, is, is a big part of what Arizona's whole team identity represents, you know, I mean, if they're going and, and, and they're committed and, and they're engaged and they can be, okay to good uh, but if they're not they're they're dead they're dead unless they have you know every one of their top guys you know really really contributing they're they're not going to win um but i i think it's possible to get that from them so okay it's funny another intangible i just thought of for arizona and for the florida panthers is are the teams that are and i'm not trying to make that generic joke that everyone's made a million times on twitter but i i mean it but are the teams that are used to not having very many fans and thus not feeding off their crowd for their success. Are they mm-hmm. going to be, I'm not saying, well, there used to be no people. Like I know everyone said that, but I mean, in a more, you know, less exaggerated sense, maybe you don't feed off the crowd that much when there aren't many people in the stands or, you know, you're only getting 12,000, whatever it is. So maybe that means that they're not missing 
the crowd noise as much as other teams. I'm not sure. Well, Nashville, and you're right. I mean, Nashville, and Nashville's a team that really feeds off of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw it, you know, in the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago. I mean, that is, that is a team that really, really feeds off their crowd and really feeds off the buzz that's created in the arena and the craziness and everything. And, and Arizona, I mean, Arizona has really rabid fans. It's just they don't have, they don't have enough of them. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay, Ryan, give me a series pick right now. Arizona in four. And Kenny? I got, I've got Arizona in five. Wow, so I'm, I'm going Nashville. Uh, I still think the defense, they'll, they'll rely more on the D in that series, the, the, the top four, the more talented D. I'm putting faith in John Hines to go with UC Saros, so I think that the overall talent of the Preds will win out. I do think Kemper steals a game, so I have Predators in four. Uh, so now let's move on to this series. This series is intriguing me more. The more I talk about it, the more interested I am in it. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks versus the Minnesota Wild. Canucks are the seven seed. The Wild are the ten seed. So if we're looking at offense, obviously the Canucks, one of the most exciting offenses in the NHL, eighth overall, number four power play in the league. You got a lot of high end talent. Of course, Quinn Hughes, incredible rookie season, one of the best offensive rookie seasons by a defenseman in the last. 30 years, or, or at least 28 years, 27, 28 years, along with Kale McCars. Uh, you have Brock Besser back, back healthy now. Tyler Toffoli, who was brought in as the injury replacement for Besser, he was great when he came over. So all of a sudden, you have two goal-scoring winger, wingers in your top six. Uh, JT Miller, best season of his career. And, of course, Elias Patterson, or Peterson, as he likes to be called now, uh, one of the most dynamic talents in the game. So there's to me, it's a clear edge, especially because on Minnesota's side of the puck, Kirill Kaprizov does not look like he'll be eligible under any scenario to play in this series. Uh, Kevin Vial was incredible. He had 14 goals, 26 points in 18 games going into the break, but he can't do it all on his own. So I think this is a very, very defined advantage for Vancouver. Kenny, do you agree? I do. I do. And, and I, you know, I I just think, you know, I mean, offense comes so much more naturally and easily to the group in Vancouver you know, it, you didn't even talk about JT Miller, who led them in scoring this year and was, a, was an offensive revelation this season. Um, you know, and, and then – but I, I just think Minnesota, like, their, their offense, it's just – they have to work way too hard to generate scoring chances, you know. And, and that's, that's hard. It's hard to play that way, and it's hard to play that way for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, I think that the, the top-end offensive talent – on the Vancouver Canucks is, is, is much, uh, you know, is, is gives them a way bigger advantage over say a more balanced, if you will, attack in Minnesota. Uh, and it's only balanced because they have one really good offensive player and a bunch of guys who are okay, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, I think, I think this is a decided, you know, decided edge for, for the Canucks. Okay. Right. Yeah, I agree. The Canucks are the the more entertaining, high octane team here. Uh, even though you know statistically these teams weren't too far from each other during the regular season, but uh, you know as you mentioned, Matt, you know they didn't have Brock Besser the whole time. They didn't have Tyler Toffoli for most of the season, and 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 now they will. Um, I will say in Minnesota's defense, you know, again going back to how will the layoff impact different series. You look at guys like Eric Stahl and Zach Parise, even Matt Zuccarello, veteran guys that have a lot of um, hours on their frames, all of a sudden they got a chance to step back and recover. Um, I think, you know, those guys could give Vancouver's D some problems. Um, I, I'm still going to go with Vancouver, um, but I don't think Minnesota's dead in the water here. Okay. And, and it's interesting, moving on to defense, I, I think that, it's just as pronounced the other way as offense is for Vancouver. I think the Wild are one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. No team allows fewer high-danger chances. No team allows fewer scoring chances. In terms of actual attempts, the Wild were not amazing, but they really are great at preventing chance quality. And that was with Matt Dumba still struggling coming back from the pectoral injury last year. Maybe if they get a better Matt Dumba for the, this tournament, they might be even better. And, of course, you have Ryan Suter still the ageless workhorse. Jared Spurgeon, one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL, kind of a new age, two age, two way defenseman. Uh, whereas the Canucks, one of the worst possession teams in the league, and only the Blackhawks allowed more shots, I believe, than the Canucks. So to me, that's a major edge for Minnesota, and I think that matters in a playoff series a lot. Uh, where do you land on that, Kenny? 
you got to stop going first because you keep saying everything I'm going <laughs> to say. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's as big an edge as it is offensively for Vancouver. But, I mean, there's no question. This, you know, I mean, Minnesota's defensive game is their hallmark. Um, their, their key to winning this series is going to be to slow it down and to grind it out and to make it big boy hockey and to make it, you know, just, just one of those slow, turgid, you know, defensive struggles. Um, they're they're going to have to do that and then hope they, they capitalize on some opportunities here. Um, but Vancouver, yeah, I mean, Vancouver is a team that, you know, for as good as they are offensively, um, the, away from the puck, they're not a very good team at all. Um, and they're learning. I mean, they're a young team, you know, and, and even the guys that they've picked up, I mean, Tyler Toffoli is not a, you know, not known for his defense and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that in terms of defense men and in terms of team defense overall, I think Minnesota's, you know, got a, got a clear edge there for sure. Okay. Ryan, are we being too tough in Vancouver or do you think there is the clear edge for Minnesota? I, I, I don't think it's as pronounced. I would even say maybe it's a tie. You know, Vancouver had the – it's tough to assess because of Minnesota's injuries throughout the season. Because um, if you look at their actual defenses, you know, like Minnesota gave up more goals than Vancouver per game this year. Um, Vancouver had the better penalty kill. But, again, I recognize that, you know, with, with injuries, uh, you know, you know, like if, if Devin Dubnik's in net all the time, then obviously we're probably having a, you know, it's a different conversation. Um, so I'll, I'll say that, you know, Minnesota definitely has the potential to, to rule this, this series defensively. But part of me also looks at a player like Quinn Hughes on Vancouver and says, okay, he might not be known as a stopper in his own end, but his ability to get the puck out of his own end and up and make that first pass or just to break it out himself uh, can't be discounted. Um, particularly when we're, you know, again, when he's going to be super fresh, he's a young guy, he's going to have, you know, tremendous legs going and, and all the motivation in the world to prove himself in what could be a Calder trophy season for him. So I, you know, I, I see Minnesota as a, having a slight edge, but I, I don't think it's that pronounced. Okay. Uh, moving on to goaltending. Kenny, it's a gift to you. You get to go first, my friend. You're a prince. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jacob Markstrom versus whomever. I mean, it's clear. It, it's clear. Jacob Markstrom had a, an incredible bounce back season under some really difficult circumstances. Um, you know, coming back after his, his father got sick and passed away. Um, you know, just has been a rock, uh, you know, for the Canucks. I think, you know, we talked about all the chances they give up and, and all the high danger chances that they give up. And, and he's been, you know, he's been used to playing in that sort of high pressure situation. If I were the Minnesota Wild, like Devin Dubnik, no. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, Alex Stalock, I guess. Uh, but why not Kakinen? You know, I mean, three, one and one, five games. I mean, a very small body of work, but he was their best goalie in that, in that very small period of time. Um, and who knows if he doesn't, you know, I mean, maybe this guy has a Ken Dryden, Steve Penny kind of run in him. Uh, you know, that guy that comes in, Sean Burke kind of run in him, comes in and, and, you know, sort of just takes the ball and runs with it. So, um, but even that being said, I think, I think Vancouver's got the edge here for sure. And Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I agree. You know, Jacob Markstrom was one of the best stories of this season. Um, you know, played at the All-Star game. And uh, I think he's going to probably get a lot of postseason love from people in terms of goals saved above average 11.4, um, which is like a pretty decent mark. It's not among the league leaders, but it's not too far off. And I just think with the uncertainty in the, the wild crease, you know, it's like you'd rather know who your guy is going into a series and being sure of it. Whereas, as like Ken mentioned, um, you know, Minnesota's got options, all of which have pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I, I don't get it. Looking around the league, there are so many of these situations where one goalie clearly took over down the stretch that the coach now is still talking up the competition. That's the same thing with Dean Evison uh, and the wild Alex Stalock 
after the All-Star break, 9-3-1, 2.22 goals against average, 9-24 save percentage. He took the job. And, I, and obviously, Kapokakin was, was really good too. Uh, whereas the note I wrote down for Devin Dominic is worst non-Jimmy Howard goalie in the league. Uh, yeah, he, had, he was bad. It was, the wheels really fell off for Dubnik. Um, whereas Jacob Markstrom, you can make a case he was the Canucks MVP. So because of the uncertainty, and even if Stalock gets the job to start, he's still not that experienced. So it's not like we know that's a, an edge over the Canucks. So I think you have to give it to Vancouver. Uh, intangibles is an interesting one, in my opinion. Uh, I, d- I just think I don't have much to say on it other than just the Wild were the team that was supposed to be out of it. And they've got the chip on the shoulder. They got a couple guys who are running out of time in Prize and Suter, the Minnesota boys. So I, I kind of see a, a little bit of a mental edge to Minnesota. But uh, where do you guys stand, Ryan? We'll start with you. Yeah, I, I, I like the veteran presence and motivation that Minnesota has. As you mentioned, you know Prize, Ryan Suter. You know Eric Stahl has has won a cup, but it was a long time ago. Um, you know Zuccarello. You have a lot of guys like that on that team. Uh, but I would counter with you know, Elias Pettersson as the intangible in Vancouver because he could really take over this series. You know, if he finds some space to work his magic, Minnesota just can't hang. Um, so I actually give the intangibles to Vancouver in, because they have Pedersen on the li- in their lineup. Okay. And Kenny? Uh, and I'm going to give it to Vancouver because they have Tanner Pearson and Tyler Foley in their lineup. Hmm. Um, you know, two guys who have been there, done that, seen everything. Tyler Tavoli is a guy who rises to the occasion in the playoffs. I could see him doing so once again and, and being sort of that, that clutch kind of Justin Williams kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like uh, the kind of guy who, you know, when you go into overtime, you look over and you go, oh, we got him. We're good. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that, that's going to add a huge dimension to the Vancouver Canucks and what they can do and the kind of confidence they can play with and the kind of sort of just the, the steadying influence they're going to have in, in, uh, in, 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 in their dressing room. Like, you know, this is a team that's got some young players who have never been through any of this stuff, but you know, you go into say goes five games and goes to overtime of game five. You know, I'd like to have a guy like Tyler Foley in my dressing room going, it's okay guys, we got this. I've been here. It's not as big a deal as you might think. Let's just go out and play, you know. So I, I think uh, I think it's it's Vancouver's uh, Vancouver's edge. Good point. And Foley and Pearson too, part of teams that rallied from an 0-3 deficit against San Jose that one year too. That toughens you up a lot. Uh, Kenny, keep the floor. Give me your series pick. I'm going to go Vancouver in four. Okay. And Ryan, I will also go Vancouver in four. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the hot take. This is my upset pick of the West. Wild in five. Uh, I think that Vancouver's, you know, a lot of the core, even though you've got, of course, Foley and Pearson, a lot of the core is pretty inexperienced. Uh, the Wild are just so tight defensively that it, the style of play is going to be different. And I also think that coming off the long layoff, we're going to get some jelloy legs. And I don't think we're going to get very offensive hockey at the beginning. I'm expecting grubby hockey. That favors the Wild. Uh, so I think the Wilds, the grub factor gives them a, a, an upset win in five games. So we're going to finish it off with uh, the Flames and Jets, eight versus nine series, an all-Canadian matchup. Uh, starting with the offense, and Ryan, I'm going to let you lead this one off. Who has the edge? I actually went with a tie with this one. I feel these teams are, are very similar in terms of offense. You know, In the NHL, Calgary ranked 20th, Winnipeg was 17th. Uh, Calgary had a slightly better power play, 21.2% versus Winnipeg's 20.5%. Both teams have guys with tremendous amount of talent. You know, you look at Johnny Gaudreau on Calgary, you look at Patrick Lina in Winnipeg. Um, you know, you've got Monaghan and Kachuk and uh, Lindholm on Calgary. you got Wheeler and Shifley and, uh, you know, a bunch of guys uh Ehlers and Connor on Winnipeg so I I think this is gonna be a really fun matchup because it's two teams that kind of underachieved this season and now they have to go through each other to prove that this was not a lost cause mm-hmm. Ken yeah I I would I would say it's 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 a close matchup if if um you know I I, I think if if Calgary's forwards had played up to their potential I just think they've really been 
very decidedly ordinary this year. A lot of their guys. Um, I, I don't think that, 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 you know, Sean Monahan has been particularly great. I don't think Johnny Goudreau's had a down year. I mean, Matthew Kachuk was, was very good. Um, but I look at the other side and I see, you know, Kyle Connor, I see Nikolai Ehlers, I see Blake Wheeler, I see Mark Scheifele on, you know, on the back end, I see a guy like Pionk who, who can create a lot of offense. Um, so I, I do think the edge goes to Winnipeg here because I think they just, they just have guys whose mojo is going a little better this year. Um, and, and I think, you know, obviously a huge component of this will be how they respond to the layoff. Um, you know, if it's, if it's, if, if it takes Winnipeg a while to get moving offensively and, and I, I don't agree with you that I think that it's going to be jelly hockey. I think, I think actually it might be the other way around. I think it might be, you know, really wide open at the beginning. And if that's the case, I think Winnipeg has the edge. I hope you're right. I want it to be wide open, but I think it's going to be sluggish. We'll see. Uh, I'm with you, Ken, on the Jets. I, I know on paper the statistics suggest they were pretty close, but just looking at the talent, uh, and even you know another guy we haven't talked about too much yet is Patrick Laine, who this is the year he finally became a consistent forward. The numbers were not amazing, but he, he was he, he avoided those monster slumps that he often has year to year, and I think that's a big factor. Kyle Connor having tremendous year. Uh, Neil Pionk, one of the best power play defensemen in the league. And the thing about Johnny Gaudreau, last two years in the playoffs, three points in nine games, no goals. He disappears. And it's interesting because we look at the slashing crackdown, which was inspired by the game when he took 21 slashes a couple years ago. He was one of the players that benefited the most. We saw the boom in guys like Gaudreau, Mitch Marner, Dabrinkit, Patrick Kane even getting huge spikes in their stats. But in the playoffs, all those enforcements go away. You get the kind of tighter checking game again, and then it neutralizes Gaudreau. I think it's a big problem for him in the playoffs, and I think the Jets, they have more size, more versatility, so I, I give them a slight edge on, on talent. Uh, moving over to the defensive side of the puck, obviously Winnipeg lost a lot of bodies, so it's really different than last year, but Kenny, who do you give the edge to? Um, I, I would say it's it's fairly even, probably maybe a slight edge to Calgary. Uh, they give up, you know, they, they both give up about the same number of shots per game. Uh, they both give up, you know, I think the same number of opportunities. Um, I think, you know, I mean, Calgary, uh, Calgary getting Eric Gustafson at the trade deadline, I think was a big help to them defensively. Um, you know, I, I think Calgary's a little deeper defensively than, uh, than Winnipeg because of all of those, you know, those big losses, including Dustin Bufflin, uh, which is huge for them. Um, but I think I think Edmund, I think Winnipeg's done a pretty good job of, I, I actually more than a pretty good job. I think they've done an excellent job of 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 not making that a huge issue for them. You know, like I think they, Connor Hellebuck has done a good job of that. Yeah, I'll, he's done I'll, a good I'll, job of that. I'll, counter, I'll counterpoint you after that. I agree, but but I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the the, the last line of defense is goaltending, and and we know that that's going to be a huge edge for Winnipeg. Um, but I th I think Winnipeg has has done a pretty decent patchwork job, um, given you know given the, the the defections that they had in the off season and through the season. Um, but I, I would give the give the edge to Calgary. And Ryan. Yeah, I'll give a slight edge to Calgary. Uh, and, and, yeah, obviously, you know, like Winnipeg had the better numbers this year, but Connor Hellbuck was a big driver there. Uh, Calgary with the better penalty kill, 82.1%. Winnipeg, 77.6%. It's not ideal. Um, but, again, I will say, you know, it's sort of similar to Edmonton. You know, the Winnipeg Blue Liners, they don't need to do – a lot necessarily guys like Pionk and Morrissey can move the puck up the ice and they have so many great forwards that can take over from there. You've got a lot of good two-way guys like Shifley and Wheeler that can help out. So, you know, even though, you know, Calgary has like Mark Giordano and, and they have sort of that, that veteran core of defensemen that have been together for a while, I, I don't think it's that pronounced an edge when you look at sort of the whole uh, scenario. Okay. Well, wow, I think you guys are being real, uh, real soft on Winnipeg here. I, I think their defense was just straight up bad. Third, third highest expected goals against in the league. Allowed lots of quality chances, and that's why Hellebuck has got so much love for the Vesemans. He, it wasn't just the Hellebuck had a great year. He bailed out a team that was just leaking top quality chances, terrible penalty kill. 
So I think it's not that the Calgary Flames were an elite defensive team, uh, although they had some injuries as well, um, defense court. But I think uh, just especially if you factor in the, the two-way forwards like Michael Backlund as well, I think it's – to me, it's a pretty clear edge for Calgary. I'm not saying it's a wash, but I think it's a win for Calgary because the Jets are just they, – they allow the high-quality chances. And that's a good transition, of course, to goaltending. Uh, Connor Hellebuck, I think he's – I want to say a lock for the Vezina, but I have to remember that we don't vote on it. It's the GMs and the, the history of the GMs suggests that they really look at the wins category, so that could hurt. Helbig's case is a chance he gets robbed, but he carried the Jets. I think he – I put him on my heart ballot. Not at the top, but he was on my ballot. Um, whereas with the Flames, you've got David Riddick, who really struggled after the All-Star break. He's got Cam Talbot breathing down his neck. And it's not like Cam Talbot is Mr. Reliable either if you look at his whole body of work. So – I think the goaltending advantage in this series is one of the biggest edges in any category, in any series in the entire Western hub. Uh, Ryan, do you agree? I totally agree. I think it's a huge advantage for Winnipeg. Uh, Buck, I, I also had him on my heart ballot. Um, you know, second best goal saved above average in the NHL to Tuka Rask at Boston, uh, 22.4. So, you know, with Buck, you know, it's funny you were – you were ragging on Winnipeg's defense, talking about expected goals. Um, but they were, they were only expected because Connor Hellbuck saved them instead yes. of letting them in. <laughs> so um, so yeah. that's, that's a wonderful thing to have back there, to know who your guy is. And, you know, Hellbuck has been to the playoffs before. This is not new to him. Um, but certainly he's going to want to take this team on a run. And I think, you know, because the Jets have underachieved, you know, the motivation is going to be there, and Hailbuck is the kind of rock to rely on that can really push them forward. Cool. And, and Kenny, are we missing anything? Is this just an open and shut case? Yeah, no, I think it's it's fairly open and shut. I, I, I do think, though, Winnipeg's defensive numbers were skewed by the first part of the season when they were absolutely abysmal in their own end, like like comically bad. Um, you know, I mean, it was like, it was like, am I watching an NHL team here <laughs> in their own end? And I, and I think that skewed things a little bit. I think they've, they, they did get better defensively as the year went on. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, Hellebuck, I'm, I'm with you on Hellebuck. I, he, I, all the same things you guys said, I had him on my heart ballot. Uh, I can't remember whether he was fourth or, or fifth, but uh, he was, he was definitely on my heart ballot. Um, you know, a guy who's been there before a guy, I think, you know, you just look at Connor Hellebuck and like, if, if, if the Winnipeg Jets were to go on this run and win and win the Stanley cup or make the Stanley cup final, you, you would say, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean that, that would not be an improbable thing given the fact that Connor Hellebuck could just go on some kind of massive run here and, and, you know, really be like the story of the playoffs. Like, I could definitely see him being, you know, a Con Smythe candidate if if the uh, if the Jets, you know, were to have a deep playoff run. Okay, and uh, intangibles, Kenny, keep it going, and let me know if you have an intangible edge for either team. I just I think that I think Winnipeg. It's 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 kind of weird, and you're gonna have to kind of stick with me in this with this, but I think Winnipeg knows they're better than they were. Mm-hmm. And and I think they know they're capable of capable of being a lot better than they were. I'm not sure if Calgary knows that, thinks that they're they're much better than they were. Um, you know, so I, I think I think Winnipeg has kind of more to give and more to prove, and and sort of uh, more of a rallying cry that you know, hey guys, um, you know, this season wasn't good by anybody's standards. It wasn't great. You know, we were a, a bubble playoff team you know, out of the playoffs for a long time. Um, you know, we're better than this. You know, we, we are way better than this. A couple of years ago, we were one of the best teams in the NHL. And, and we're not that much, you know, other than the defensive teardown. You know, we've still got a lot of guys that, that were part of that group. So I, I think that, that Winnipeg knows that they can be better. And I think they know they can kick it up a, a gear. And I, I think they're capable of doing that. And Ryan, what you got for the intangibles? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a tie, uh, though I agree with Ken on the, the Winnipeg uh, perspective. I think, uh, you know, a guy like Blake Wheeler is going to be in that dressing room saying, guys, like, we cannot waste this opportunity. You know, I'm getting too old for this. You know, we, we only have a certain window, 
and we have you know the the crew that can make some noise here uh the reason i have it as a tie is because i think matthew kachuk can be a huge x factor in this series whether it's from the offense he produces or all the chaos that he inspires i think he's the type of player that can change you know uh, an entire series uh with his presence and we know he can get under guys skins and I think that if Matthew Kachuk is playing at his best, at his feistiest, uh, he could really throw the Jets off. And who knows, maybe he gets in Hale Buck's kitchen. Um, so I think that could be a huge X factor. Interesting. I don't really have a major intangible other than just what I touched on before with Goudreau. And, just, and it applies to Monahan as well, just some of the Flames forwards. Their forward core, you could argue it's tougher than it used to be, but I think that they haven't responded too well when they when the game gets heavier and the whistles get put away. So to me, that's a little intangible. Uh, let's make our, our final series pick for the West. Ryan, who do you have? Winnipeg in five. Okay, Kenneth. I have Winnipeg in four, possibly even three. I don't. I don't think it's going to be very close. Okay, I've got Winnipeg in five. I think that there's still pressure on Hellebuck. I think if he for some reason loses his momentum during this layoff and he comes back not as good, then the Jets can be exposed a bit for leaving him uh, out to dry. So I think it'll be competitive, but I still think the Jets will win it. So that concludes the preview for the Western Hub. Let's hope we see these games, these games played. It was still fun to talk about them regardless. It was a breath of fresh air. So thank you guys for taking part. And that's it for this one. We'll be back next time with the Eastern Hub City Play and Preview.